Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening? What's up, man? How you doing? Chilling, baby. Good. good. <laughs> hey, man. Keep laughing, man. Be happy, man. We got yeah. Today we're super excited. We have uh, the one and only. That's his actual Instagram handle. The one and only. Had that in your Ma- back pocket, huh? Michael. Sam? Michael. I've been playing. <laughs> <laughs> waiting, waiting to say that shit. <laughs> That's his Instagram <laughs> handle. The one and only. I got you. Anyway, but I wonder. He probably like intentionally set it up for this very moment. This maybe it, maybe he changed his handle right before we interviewed this him. This is true. <laughs> well, he, the one and only, is Michael Julian, also known as MJ. MJ is one of the uh, kind of foremost experts, one of the smartest people I personally know when it comes to selling tickets at scale. He is the co-founder of a company called Sear Assets, which is responsible for a lot of the marketing activities behind a lot of the biggest party brands that you love to go to and, and party at. Uh, Electric Zoo, Elro... Uh, made event here in New York. They promote a lot of different events. Uh, those are just some of the big ones to name a couple. Uh, but he has been selling tickets uh, and, and really trying and working to scale these different event production brands for a while. So really excited to have him on. We first crossed paths in helping promote and selling out some shows for the artist Black Coffee that I work really closely with. Um, he just knows how to build brands. I mean, we dive into Elro. Elro to me is such a fascinating brand. They throw parties. They throw over a hundred of uh, 150 events a year internationally. So from a marketing standpoint, all the, the content they're creating, the complexity that goes into running uh, ad campaigns at the efficiency and scale that they do in order to really make all those events as successful as they are is, is absolutely incredible to me. So I think, MJ, whether you're uh, an artist that's trying to sell tickets to your show, somebody that's just interested in running ads to help grow your brand, if you're a promoter that's looking to get a better understanding how some of the biggest party operations in the world, like Electric Zoo and Alro, have gone about building their brands and building community, I think you're in luck uh, in today's episode. Yeah, Um Something that I was just fairly impressed with was, you know, we expect people like him to come in and and say a lot of high, high level thoughts and concepts. And obviously he does that as well. But it's very clear he knows what he's talking about from A to Z. You know, we he gets very tactical in this episode in a way where not just, you know, somebody early, you know, somebody entry level would know, you know, very like minute detail things, but also like very large concepts and how to execute it from point A to point B. Awesome. Yeah, well, man. super excited to jump into the episode. One last thing. Uh, super grateful for Bands in Town. Uh, Bands in Town, they have a studio here in New York. They host events, but more importantly, I mean, they host our podcast. But beyond that, I think it's a fantastic tool. And on the subject of when it comes to actually selling tickets to events, posting your events, ha- creating an artist profile on the Bands in Town's app is a great way to kind of build your com- build a community of people that are likely to buy tickets and grow that community and notify that community when you have upcoming shows. I know Jordan uses it personally with a lot of the artists that he manages over at EQT. It's my favorite it's my favorite platform to use to sell tickets, honestly. Yeah. So 
So if you haven't already, definitely make sure you check out Bands in Town. Super appreciative there. And then the last thing is experimenting. Um, we're constantly experimenting with format and length of these different episodes. This episode with MJ today is a little bit shorter. Let us let us know. Slide up in the DMs at Music Business Podcast on Instagram and let us know if you prefer the longer 60-minute format or the kind of condensed 30-minute format we got going today. And so, I said, don't slide in the DMs for nothing else. <laughs> just, 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 you know, just let us know. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. MJ, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Good? Good. We're excited to have you on. I know we've uh, had the pleasure of getting to work with you a couple times in the past. So I think uh, when it comes to selling tickets internationally for a lot of events, man, I think you're one of the best in the business. Those are not humble words. I like, <laughs> I, I like to be humbled. And, you know, the truth is a lot of people sell a lot of tickets Yeah. these days. But, yeah, that if there was a specialty... For us to find in what we do, that's probably the focus for us. Right, 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 right. I think it's, uh, I definitely want to kind of devise, uh, have the conversation and dive into some tactics, but also some stories around some of the brands you've helped build. Cause I think you've played a big part in doing marketing and, uh, and helping some really notable event brands scale. Um, so I guess we'll start in, uh, I think the, the two big ones I definitely want to dive into are Elro and Izu. But can you, I mean, for people that aren't familiar, let's start with Elro. And could you just kind of, Talk about what Elro is and kind of how you started and when you started to collaborate with them. Yeah. So Elro is, I think, maybe a little bit of Circus de Soleil meets a big house music party. A very bright and positive. And what I like to say about the music is very uplifting. Mm -hmm. That I think that kind of translates uh, into the brand. The idea is for the tempo of the music and the, the shows, which is acrobats and performers, is to all work together and provide, create an immersive experience. So if you really, if you're a fan and you're on the dance floor, you are surrounded by craziness, mm -hmm. literally. And there's all kind of characters all around. You're still workers. The music is right ahead of you. The confettis are falling from the sky, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's a different vibe. And, yeah. and you know you're going to this for a party and not for one particular artist. And, you know, that makes a difference. It's a, it's a Spanish brand, very old family, five generations, mm -hmm. I believe, started very small in a culture club and grew all the way to what it is now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we had a first meeting in Mexico some years ago, back at BPM Festival, and I spoke to Juan when the brand was getting bigger but nowhere where it is now. And I completely understood. And it was very interesting because I was already getting a little bit tired of uh, people coming up with brands just for the sake of giving it a name, giving the party a name. But ultimately, it wasn't any different. It was the same artist playing right. the same music. And, you know, they've put up a couple of uh, different LED looks or, you know, two pieces of decor would be hanging in the middle. And they thought that they give uh, themselves the right to call it a brand. The truth is the brand is something that has a vision, a look, a, a purpose, right? And, and and I liked everything Juan said, and mm -hmm. I said, let's give it a try. And, you know, the idea was I'm go I was going to work with the brand on a global scale, which I, which I did, uh, as an advisor to CEO on the branding side. Mm -hmm. And then soon enough, we realized that United States is a is ready mm -hmm. and so as we started looking for someone to be the director of the country for us we started making the first steps but now almost three years later 
it's still kind of us doing it. You know, it's very difficult to trust the brand to someone mm-hmm. when the family put all these years of work and, and um, you know, it's very important that the experience is true LRO experience. It's mm-hmm. not just a matter of like, hey, you are a great promoter. You have a venue. Here's the party. Go do it. Right. We are there. Technical producers travel. Uh, the managers of the show travel together with the tour. So we want to be there to kind of hold hands to make sure that it's the right experience. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So that's where it all started. It's been three years. Um, we've really done three years of proper shows in New York. Started at a small venue in the city called Flash Factory. Mm-hmm. Did, I think, 800 people and then kind of went up where this year we did. We took the entire Avant Gardner takeover and did practically 10 times more. Mm-hmm. So that's been nice. Wow. And uh, we were lucky to get into Miami Music Week last year and sell out Man of Winwood, which is probably was the largest attendance for all the house music shows. Uh, so that was great. And then ultimately we got to Vegas, which was a goal for me and Juan to begin with, mm-hmm. because we feel Vegas is very similar to Ibiza. Mm-hmm. You know, people travel in and out. It's not, it's not, it, 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 local support is always important, but you know, the fact is people come from all over the world, they experience it, they go back to their cities and if they like the show, which we're hoping they do, they spread the word and that's like the organic growth. And to me, um, you know, organic growth is how you get big. Mm-hmm. You know, you create something for a very specific audience. Mm-hmm. You have a product that you know they're going to like mm-hmm. and you let them really enjoy the show and spread the word. And then it's real. And then you don't need to rely on headliners, which is exactly what part of the vision is mm-hmm. uh, to rely on the experience. And that's why I got into it with them. And I love it. And then just for scale, I mean, uh, you, you shared the growth as far as New York alone, but like internationally, how many events is Elro doing a year? To me, this is like mind blowing. I think 150 this year. Uh, we also own a festival called Elro Town. Mm-hmm. So it's a festival brand based on Elro story. Yeah. We have one in London. Uh, in Antwerp, in Belgium, in Amsterdam, um, you know, we, we're thinking about one coming to the States. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the brand is completely global worldwide. And, you know, we are very, very lucky and happy to see the results. And it, it just seems that it's working because we go all in. We never, you know, Juan's thing was, and this is why I got into it with him. He was not into saving money. He was into <laughs> spending money. So that the experience is real. So that the fans don't come out thinking that there was a gimmick, that they, mm-hmm. were, they went to a house music party, it was a bunch of confetti. Right. You know, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people initially thought that it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. And I feared that as well. But the minute I went, I realized, no, it, this is a real experience. People come out and they have, you know, they, they want to come back. Right. So, I can attest to that. It is a, <laughs> it's truly wild, unique experience for sure. Um, that's awesome. So... When it comes to making that possible from a marketing perspective, what do you think were the kind of the key things that you focused on or some of the, the biggest uh, like impact levers, if you will, that have made it possible to scale this brand the way it has? I mean, there's a lot. To me personally, one of the best uh, steps in this was content. So very quickly, you know, the the family and the team have come to a realization that Capturing content is the key because what do you do when you go to a new territory? How do you tell a story? You know, PR and all this thing is cool, but these days it's not the same. And so 
started capturing content. And, um, you know, part of the strategy in America, for example, was taking that content, showing the after movies from all, all the Elro shows in Ibiza and Barcelona and around the world so that the American fans can have a, an understanding of what it looks like. You know, a picture is better than words, a video is better than anything. And so it's a lot of wow moments in Elro. And so that was drawn. But the thing is, a lot of brands can create great content. And then once you go, you kind of be disappointed. So here was the let's get true to the brand. Let's show them exactly what it is. Let them come with like the right expectations. Let them experience it and deliver, outperform their expectations, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the, the key here. Mm-hmm. Hey, check this out. Do you like it? Come see for yourself. And now we're going to do it even better. You come out happy and, you know, that, that's how it grows. Um, it's working uh, and it's working everywhere equally. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the, the biggest marketing moment for any brand of festival is the festival and the event itself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say all you want, you can be the best marketer in the world. If the event was success and people will come out with, with intentions of coming back, th- 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 that's it. Right. You know, if, if your show was so-so, the marketing is not going to sway them to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in today's world where there's a lot of options, tickets are not cheap. You know, it, it, that's all that matters. It's the experience. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What channels do you push this content through? So initially it was all on Facebook. So, you know, we, what we wanted to do was amplify different content to different territories. Um, it, it was centered a lot about, it was centered around experiences and, and artists. So, you know, if, if we had a Paco Asuna show in Ibiza and Paco Asuna was playing in Uruguay, you know, in three weeks, 12 row, obviously we would use that content and slowly but surely we've built content around pretty much all the artists we work with. Right. You know, we have started working with a specific group of artists that also as Elro grew, they grew. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Vavs, the Patrick Topping, a lot of artists, not to limit them to have really gone up as we grew. And they are, it's a very family environment. Juan mm-hmm. and the team and Victor and the artists are very close. It's more like friends. Right. And they want to play for Elro. They I appreciate you know the the connection with the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that 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 happens is is an opportunity, right? Like for New York, for example, mm-hmm. we have great artists who are friends, like Tiknasia, like Vaf, you know, many more that get to play at Brooklyn Mirage to five, six thousand people. They won't have an opportunity like that to play to, for a show in New York before, mm-hmm. and that's why Brooklyn Mirage comes handy, but also they feel like they create connection with, with Zellro fans because music is a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And you also, I mean, ads are a huge part of kind of scaling here and that's probably played a major role. How's your, I mean, what do you feel when you look at people that aren't running any ads versus running ads well? Like, what do you think are some of the keys to like running good ad campaigns for marketing events? You know, some pe- people have different... Uh, mindset so to speak and mm-hmm. you know some have very wrong um, way of thinking about it and old school mentality i would say or just wrong mentality and they don't seem to change it's the same thing as some artists still up until this day think that sponsored post is lame and somehow is gonna like make them lose their fans <laughs> which is just nonsense and you know i've tried for years when it just came out explaining that this is just facebook uh is in business of legal, um, you know, racketeering where you got to pay them. 
yeah. to, to 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 get the <laughs> the content out to the fans. Right. But a lot of a lot of artists didn't understand. But that they did catch up. Ultimately, look, um, there are different platforms to 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 syndicate to promote the content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as you are smart about the format, the length. You know, you know what people are doing is basically scrolling, right? Mm. So to capture their attention, you got like a couple of seconds, right? You know, and then if they scroll you down, you're done. Mm-hmm. So the content has to be very, very um, unique in order for them to give it another second, another second. And once they're in it for five, ten seconds, then they feel invested and they want to see where it goes. So the key is not, you know, the key is having all of it. You gotta have the right content. Which means you have to have the right assets, the mm-hmm. right copy, and you have to target the right fans. If you target wrong fans with great content and that assets, then all of a sudden that's no longer great and, and vice mm-hmm. versa. If you have, uh, you know, it has to match. Mm-hmm. All of it has to work because you are trying to engage a specific fan. Mm-hmm. And so everybody has their own outlook. And so right. smart marketers, what they do is they segment mm-hmm. their marketing because one message will never appeal to everyone. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, no matter what your festival is, mm-hmm. the truth is most of the people don't like your festival. Mm-hmm. That's why you're in New York and your festival is doing 30,000 people. Well, New York Metro is 20 million or whatever <laughs> it is. Why is it only 30,000 people? That's because most people don't like your festival. Mm-hmm. So you better promote the people who like your festival. Mm-hmm. And I go a step further. I don't actually try to sell tickets to people that I know are not going to enjoy it because I have no value of selling the tickets to someone who's going to then leave unhappy and tell everybody it sucked. Right. It just doesn't make sense. They're not going to come back. So I would rather focus on people with potential, you know, even if they are not necessarily connected to our music and, and, and the lineup, but I feel for whatever reason, they'll like, they'll like the experience or they'll like something about the experience. I market to the audience differently. So if I think that for whatever reason you come in there because you love the best food of New York and the electric zoo say we have the best foods, I'm going to really highlight the food to you Mm -hmm. because I believe that you are neutral to the artists and maybe you're neutral to the festivals because they're all the same. And so you may even want to go to golf ball because you're not really into electronic music, but you're a New Yorker. Yeah. So I want you to go there with expectation the food is great because I feel like if you're going to taste the food and you're going to love it, then your experience somehow is better. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's not going to work for somebody who is a hardcore bass fan, right? So I'm going to focus on our music lineup for those guys and I'm going to specifically engage them with content on the bass side, not house and not trance and not mainstream music because again you know we need to connect to everyone mm-hmm. and everyone is different and I, to me that's always been the key right you know we've been lucky because we've been doing digital for a long time we probably were the first festival or one of the first that used retargeting mm-hmm. i remember we used retargeting for electric zoo before facebook or google actually offered retargeting we had to <laughs> choose a different vendor <laughs> true wow. story and i remember having Tiesto running an ad from Tiesto mm-hmm. as a kind of bridge, as a support ad. And I clearly recall that there was no Facebook pages yet. And we had to add like an email to his personal profile <laughs> or whatever the structure was in order for that to work. And that was how you were doing it. Wow. There was no uh, fan pages just yet. That's crazy. Yeah. So we went through like this whole uh, evolution or revolution of, of digital. And of course now everyone does it and because mm-hmm. that's what marketing really is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. So thinking back through that, uh, I'd love to just dive deeper as far as 
what else you've seen change. And then what's also like still really important from like before you were going all in on digital. I mean, I think uh, like even for Electric Zoo, like you're still doing a lot of like street team stuff, right? We actually paused for quite some time and then we started again a couple of years back, you know, just because it's, you know, it's everyone, everyone's got their own reasons to go to a festival. And at this point, it was like, leave no stone unturned, Mm -hmm. you know, and we understand that we need to capture attention. And so we've decided, hey, let's show our sides all over. You know, we have buses running and, you know, we come up with this very funny, humorous ads and we had some stuff in uh, in, in, in the metro and trains and there was more of an island in Manhattan because people forget that Electric Zoo, in this case, takes place on the island. We've done posters uh, in the right neighborhoods where lineups would matter and we felt like fans noticing the big names would make a difference. And then digital, you know, we yeah. do we, we do it all. Right. But yeah, generally speaking, I, I think the more exposure, the better at this point. Right, right, right. Um, what other tactics, are there any other interesting tactics that you've either started to like, uh, or certain things that you've stopped doing or certain things that you really started to lean into more? I'm sure like- Te- Text messaging, believe it or not. Yeah. So we completely stopped, you know, we hardly did it ever, to be mm-hmm. honest. You know, it was a lot of like spam. And, but now the thing is, you know, fans realize that text is something they can quickly ignore and lose yes. no sleep over it while the emails really clusters their, uh, clutters their inbox. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes a headache. Text is not. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get it, you ignore it, you open it. And if you ever need it, you go back and you find it. It doesn't right. take any megabytes in your inbox. And they do feel very personal. Mm-hmm. So if you segment it the right way, the text is starting to work now. I am becoming kind of anti-Facebook ads just because... You know, the, the thing is now that everyone creates great content and everybody knows what to target and everyone's got custom audiences and the fans are going here, 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 and here. Everybody's going to have the same people on those custom mm-hmm. audiences. Everyone's just competing. And what that does is just drives the price up. Mm-hmm. So if everybody's competing for the same attention at the higher price, I don't think anybody wins. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like, okay. So what we've done always is we've tried to lead as mm-hmm. an example. We've never followed Mm-hmm. It's just boring. You know, I wouldn't be doing this if it was like, let me see what Ultra does or ADC doesn't copy them. I don't know what they do. I don't I don't really look, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like it's going to take me out of my kind of zone. We always feel like, okay, what can we do that we didn't do before? How do right. we create this constant engagement and connection with the fans? You know, and that's where text can come very handy mm-hmm. because if you tell a fan, text this number, and you know, it's a specific kind of fan and then you can provide valuable content back to them on text, mm-hmm. they'll love it. Right. And it could be as simple as sharing latest music of, of the genre or, or you mm-hmm. know, content or, or whatnot. But as long as you add value to their life, they, no one's interested in seeing ads. No one's interested to play in the movies. No one's interested to spend 45 seconds of their lives doing what they're doing. They'd rather go and check how many likes their latest Instagram post received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look at it, you know. So you got to be mindful of that. Got to really understand who your fans are. And then once you do that, Marketing is marketing. It's just right. a matter, you know, to me, what marketing means is like, you got to think like the fan does. If you think like the fan, then you'll know how to build this journey and introduce your product to them and ultimately sell them the tickets. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we have no interest of selling a ticket to a wrong fund anyways. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's about that connection. And that's the only way I know. 
Yeah. Um, what are some things that you do to make sure that um, whoever you're working with is always on brand? And what are some some core values that you try to instill in whoever you're working with? On the team? Yeah. I mean, honesty, always, always be transparent mm-hmm. with the fans. You know, the, the worst thing you can do, especially today, is lie. People mm-hmm. will find out. They'll call you out. Ultimately, they have a choice what festival to go to, what show, what party, what event to go to. And no one wants to support liars. No one wants mm-hmm. to support, you know. We are, have always been uh, big proponents of, of sustainability and, and doing things that are good for, for, for the earth. Mm-hmm. We got to take care of the earth. You know, you went to Burning Man, you know, live uh, no trace, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we always, at Electric Zoo, when Mike and Laura just launched it, I remember if we had any meat at the festival, it had to be grass-fed. We had a mm. lot of vegan options, wow. vegetarian options. We always had juices. Artists usually always used to praise us for that. And it was, it came from their heart. They, this mm-hmm. is what they felt. And, you know, I'm now friends. I'm lucky to be friends with a lot of festival owners. And we were just at Ibiza. And... I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's fascinating to be in the middle of the biggest promoters. And it was like the guys from Boom Festival in, in Portugal and the, the guys from Digital in, in Netherlands, me and, you know, a bunch of other people from all over the world. And they weren't talking about how to market the festival, how to sell the tickets. They were talking, how do we take the power that we have where we have tens of thousands of people at all our shows and how do we take the message that's important to us and kind of get them on board. And they were talking about, you know, no plastic, uh, you know, all the all the stuff that we should really care about. So that's like promoter version 2.0. Mm-hmm. This is a new type of a promoter. These are all veterans. They've already done it for so many years. They're over the money. They're over the how do we sell the tickets. They have a mission now. Like, hey, let's keep this yeah. going. Let's get the music we like to the fans. And in the process, let's get our fans to believe and stand for what we stand for. Wow. You know, and those yeah. are those are partially the same same thing for our team. You know, without values, you don't have anything. What right. do you really have? Right. You know, you know? Yeah, no, I mean it's fascinating to create a more depth between your audience and even just like self-awareness as you create a brand. I think um even just for artist marketing, when we're working with artists, we really try and like push into what is their personality, what do they uniquely care about and really wear that on their sleeve. I think the same goes for these different like party brands because per your point, it's not just a, another party with a big artist and a couple like different attractions or cool things hanging over the crowd, but it's really about creating this like unique experience and this unique brand that people really feel they resonate with. And a lot of times for the artists that I work with, um, they won't even know what their personal brand is when they come to us. So we have to ask them the questions that'll get them to think about that. Do you think that you uh, on your team also have to do that? Or at least in the beginning stages, like what do we want to stand for? You know, what are what are we like? And, you know, because obviously, you, you know, you guys said you had grass fed burgers. At some point you had to have a conversation about that. Yeah, I mean, it all comes from people. So mm-hmm. Mike and Laura were spearheading the vision, and it was a part of their vision that they don't want anyone eating food that has chemicals in it. Right. You know, it's as simple as this. Like the digital guys, for them, it was really important since they want to be green, and they've been winning awards for that because they do it from their heart. And mm-hmm. yeah, listen, sure, when you have new people and they join you because everybody wants to work for a promoter, right? Everybody <laughs> thinks it's cool. They don't really know what it means. They just want to work in music. That's the number one thing I get at the interviews. Hey, why do you want to work here? I always want to be into music. Well, what music? Did you know that 360 (laughs) 
two days a year, we try to make the three days of electric zoo work yeah. and there's no music except for the one in your headphones. They don't think that way. It's just like, yeah. So when those guys get in, they're very excited just to be a part of all of this. So you do have to have retreats and company meetings right. where mm-hmm. like you emphasize to everyone, why are you doing it? Like, why are we doing it? Why right. did we start doing it? And if you guys join us, we got to be on the same page. So, you know, right. it's, it is important to, to go over this stuff. It is important for the, that's what the leaders are for. Mm-hmm. Right. One thing I find interesting, and I know we've gotten a chance to collaborate on like promoting events for black coffee, but like artists responsibility in marketing a show that they're booked for. Oftentimes in my experience, artists and their management teams, once the artist gets booked, that they checked their box. They got books, they got their booking rate, but then they don't really take any ownership of actually marketing the shows that they've been booked for. I mean, sometimes they might post tour dates or make a post like in Paris tonight, have a new show, like who's pulling up. But, um, I mean, do you feel what, when it comes to the amount of responsibility that you personally think artists should have regarding marketing their own shows, do you think it should be more or less? Or, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that topic? Well, if artists are marketing their own show, they should have all the reasons to do so. I never understood why they would say no. Right. It's more complicated at the festivals because ultimately they all have a whole bunch of them and they feel like if we're going to support you but not support you, you're going to be upset right. Right. at the same time. Sometimes there's three or four festivals a week and they're mm-hmm. still trying to put the content in. And this is what, you know, the ads are really good for. You right. know, this is where you can take and focus on on localizations totally. and like the messaging. To be honest with you, there's a lot of politics there as well, which mm-hmm. which, which sucks. And there's a shit part of this business that's, yeah. that will exist like anywhere else. You know, politics are politics and, you know, it's, yeah, artists will be a lot more supportive to some promoters than others. And that's just a fact. And uh, it goes back to many things, relationships. It goes back to, you know, if you had an artist on the ground level and he was very small and Mm -hmm. now he's huge, I'm sure he'll give you more love than someone who kind of jumped on board and didn't believe in him at first. There's there's various reasons. But in terms of responsibility, you know, for me personally, I think if you ask me that when the festival takes place, that the guys that... You know, the artists getting paid good mm-hmm. fees and I think they should have responsibilities to help promoters if promoters ask for that help mm-hmm. to help connect the dots. Yeah. It, it, it ultimately is good for everyone, right? Like if, you, if you're an artist and you are going to play at a festival, wouldn't you want your own fans to come down and support? So when you play, sure, yeah, this yeah. is like proper energy. But for that reason, this is not the thing. Also, you know, <laughs> again, politics, but I, I can tell you whether or not the artist thinking for themselves or the management is thinking for themselves or what is the balance or what does it depend on? But it's just case by case, really, right. you know? Totally. Yeah. I think it's interesting. We kind of were working with a house artist, um, and I mean, they probably had over 50 shows this entire summer, 50 plus. Wow. Yeah. I mean, house, house <laughs> artists tour aggressively relative to other, other genres, dude, especially between the months of like April and November. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Um, but with that said, what we've done as far as identifying where we want to be responsible, I mean, we're working from the perspective of the artist team, um, not necessarily the promoter, but we've, of those 50 shows, have identified, uh, I'd say probably like 10 to 15% of like what we'd consider the priority shows, where maybe they're in major markets, New York, Paris, right? These, these big kind of tentpole markets where if they're really able to sell out this show, the promoters in, in other markets, smaller markets, will take note. And right. be like, damn, they're able to sell out this many tickets in, in this major city. 
city. Right. It's similar when we really pushed hard to sell out Black Coffee Show at Terminal 5. It's like, this is just a big moment, a yeah. hard ticket show. We want to make a, a statement here. So for that artist, you've essentially identified what's the top 10 to 15% of shows and then are just taking small budgets, a couple hundred dollars for each show in those different local markets and then running different um, like ad campaigns around that. So I think when it comes to the responsibility of the artist, I think that from our perspective is like a very pragmatic approach. Identify the priority markets where if you do sell a lot of tickets, it will have a domino effect into other markets. Um, and then in doing so, like run at, like take your own budget and reinvest and run ads to help promote those shows. Yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the term is legacy plays, right? So like you do some shows, like, listen, you do a show and you know you're going to do really well and the doors open, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so those, those shows, those shows... Uh, uh, often, like you said, in the bigger markets or very special venues or, you know, in the collaboration with other artists also, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of like in your case of Black Coffee, uh, hey, you know, I know some festivals where the artists had no interest of playing, the men Black Coffee committed and, and, and was announced, all of a sudden the calls started coming in and saying, yeah, hey, right, right. you know, we want to play all of a sudden too yeah. because coffee is playing and all of a sudden the fees weren't an issue. You know, it's all these affiliations, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, listen, again, it goes back to the vision. You know, everybody knows why they're in this for, like you said, the house music artists, a lot of them don't make the, the type of fees that, you know, the big commercial artists mm-hmm. make nowhere near, like right. many zero, sometimes two zeros behind there. Right. Mm-hmm. And they do it really more for the love. And then, you know, for them, it's like, you know, they just want to play. They just right. want to play. They just want to, you know, it's like, if you two and musicians are getting to a giant stadium and they feel this in their heart because, you know, the fans are lined up and everybody's singing along, it's the same exact feeling somebody like Valve does. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, it's scale is much smaller, mm-hmm. but the point is the same. They want to play the music and they want to pe- make the people dance. So it's, it's sincere. Yeah, yeah Lauv yeah. is a special case too. I actually went to college with him. Cool. And um, Lauv, I went to college with him. And I think one thing that he did immediately was like pin down his live show. Like immediately. I had friends that went to his shows when there were like, you know, 100 people or less in the audience. And it seemed like he was in a stadium. You know what I mean? He like did that from the jump. So, yeah. Yeah. No, the, the music right now, listen, I'm, I've never seen this before. This is, this has been kind of getting there for some time, but you go to like an Alessa show mm-hmm. and the, the fans in the audience, like you said, it's the same thing as a rock concert. They're like, right. they're there for Alessa. The minute Alessa stops playing, they bounce. Right. Not everybody, <laughs> but like a big, large group. And that's the reality I started realizing, you know, a couple of years back. Like, okay, these are concerts now. Yeah. It's not a party anymore. Mm-hmm. Elro is a party though. And that's why, that's what drew me to Elro. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Me and you can play. Right. It doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, you know, I try <laughs> not to. I was going to say, don't tell him that. <laughs> when, when we do um, dance music shows in New York, it's always pre-sale. It's always artist-focused. You know, it's all about the artist. We're finding artists, the fans. We're engaging with them. We're selling them the tickets. We don't announce our lineups until very, very end, sometimes mm-hmm. weeks before the show. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mostly because I want the people to come because they crave Elro experience. The minute I'm going to ask people to buy the tickets because we have artists A, B, or C, it's not going to be the same for me anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. That's really cool. When um, as we start to kind of close out here, I think uh, what excites you about music? Obviously, you've worked in the industry for a while. I mean, what keeps you excited personally? 
in music itself. Yeah, I mean, just like what keep what keeps the Energizer Bunny going. A new new talent, a new yeah. music. So what I do is quite simple. I spend my day. Uh, I, I drive a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I drive a lot, a lot of meetings, and you know, I'm, I'm in the office on calls. So while I'm in the office on calls, I can't really listen to much music. So I listen to when I drive, and so I have a system. I listen to the sets on SoundCloud. The minute I write, I don't. I hear a track that I love and don't recognize. I shazam it, and once I shazam it, I add it to Spotify list, mm-hmm. and then I go back and I mm-hmm. replay it, mm-hmm. and that's how I get to understand uh, who is putting up what content, what are the what are the new names out there, what music they play, mm-hmm. and you know, then I start paying attention to them. I start following them. I start seeing which festivals, which shows, where in the world are getting them. You know, I pay attention to the new names all the time. We, I had a couple of projects in New York where we focused specifically on the artists that are not big enough yet, but are very respectful producers outside of New York. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to build this hype with music. And that's a challenge, right? It's easier or easy even sometimes to take a Tiesto and sell his tickets. He's God. Yeah. Now try and go and sell tickets for Victor Ruiz, which right. we have at Analog coming up. You know, there's a Brazilian techno guy. In New York, he's hardly known. Mm-hmm. So you got to like build a story. You got to like go back, de-engineer. Why is Victor Ruiz so great? Find the people who we think based on the musical taste will like him and then kind of build a journey and sell him the tickets. And I would never be able to do that as a marketer if I didn't know the music. So it's like I can never ever let go of music. I always need to know what's happening, who is playing, where they're playing, what are the affiliations between the labels and the artists and that's the exciting part. And then at Electric Zoo, it's really cool to go and see the the welcome, right? Because when you have the, especially like after four o'clock when the festival site is already packed, you can go and you can see how the fans welcome and farewell the artists. And so the interesting part is the welcoming the artist is based on how they feel about it. So the more people love someone, the more audience are going to be there. They're going to be clapping and going crazy. But the farewell is always based on the set. So this is how you can all, like, if someone's got a big welcome, but not much in the end, I guess the set sucks. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then there's a lot of times where it's a new artist and, or, or less known and you'll come in and it's going to be one of the, you know, middle stages and not much is happening. And people start texting their friends. And at the end of the set, it's like, boom, it's this is where you know that this is a superstar making. And like finding that moment is the cool That's thing awesome. ever. And I've called myself doing it like, a number of times and it was always right. I would call my guys like, Joey, this is the guy. And, you know, we would, we were research. Both would know nothing about it. It's just from me kind of looking at it, you know, go same for house music, techno. doesn't matter what the genre is. You can see the connection with the fans. If the artist has that connection, he's going places, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what we are working, you know, with mime and, and the young, and I'm, I'm telling these guys, Hey, you create these connections with the fans. Mm-hmm. You make the music they like. And don't worry about everyone. Just worry about making them happy. And they'll kind of gradually right. mm-hmm. help you right. grow. And that this is what this is a part of what we do on a daily basis. And that's what kind of helps us stay, you know, this is this makes it better, yeah. more fun, whatever the right word is. Right, mm-hmm. right. No, and that's uh I feel the excitement, man, too. It's infectious no and forever I think, young yeah for sure for sure <laughs> for sure no and i think the um that's one of the best parts about this too and i've had conversations it's like yo you're working in music like you can't you shouldn't be mad i mean you're we're, at the end of the day we're just big fans in the same sense that you're just excited to see an awesome new artist and are just following this like this is just straight interest and then because of your expertise and, and doing this as a fan like you've been able to learn how to 
help position and tell the story in a way that it's going to resonate with other fans and it built like a successful business around nobody that. quits just especially in the world of house music i'm 41 i've been doing this for quite some time yeah and i can tell you when i'm backstage at these festivals globally same people that i remember when we were 19 now they're same age as me same people no one is going nowhere it's impossible <laughs> to quit. It's 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 a, it's an addiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How, do you go, how do you go from creating something that thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands fans wait a whole year to like, like, you know, you give them everything and then you watch them enjoy it. And then what do you do? You go back and get an office job. <laughs> like, you know, this is why this is why people are staying. And like this is partially why. I always want to make more money because honestly, I want everyone to earn better because they deserve. In our, in what we do, you'll find the hardest people in terms of hardest working, best work ethics. But the truth is the average pay rate is small and a lot of them, they do it for love. But I, I go to the young people, I'm like, listen, if we all love it, you know, everybody also needs to have a family. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to think about the future. So if you love it, don't just do it because you love it and you want to be on side and crazy and feel important. Figure out what your skill set is. Figure out how to build it in, in, in this industry to become the top guy and then you can really get paid. Just stay in the flow for the sake of doing it to me is not how you're supposed to mm -hmm. handle kind of your plan. You, you know, you, this, there's got to be a real reason why you're here and there's got to be a, a plan of how you're going to grow. Otherwise, time does go very quickly. You don't want to find yourself 10, 15 years right. later just stuck in the middle, not really having a skill set, just having, you know, what is it called? Uh, some trades, master of none. Specialist. Yeah, 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 like, you know, yeah, find exactly. your thing where right. you can really add value to everything, and right. then you're gonna strive. Yeah. Right. If you are here because you wanna be cool to your friends and you wanna post your picture because you're working, to me, that's not the right reason, you know? And it also doesn't last. It mostly doesn't last, or people are not as happy as they seem. Sure, right. they're happy when they're taking pictures at the festival, posting on Facebook, you know, fam, da da da, so that show, <laughs> but find them on a Wednesday and they're hustling to other jobs because they just don't get paid enough. And all they need to do is just take a step back, ask themselves, why did I want to do it? What am I good at? How can I build this skill up? And then it's a career. Mm -hmm. You know, that, there's a big difference between a career and just doing it for the sake of being cool. Right. You know, the latter won't work really well. For sure. Right. For sure. Well, amazing. MJ, man, super excited to have had you on the show today. Likewise. I think, uh, Thank you for inviting me. Definitely, man. Lots of fun tactics for all listeners. So uh, be sure to check out the next Elro. You'll see MJ going crazy <laughs> as a fan and producer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you, awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Very into that episode. Yeah. Very, very into that episode. Same. Um, he told us beforehand that he was on kind of a time crunch. Very glad that we, he, he was able to make time for us. But none of his answers seemed rushed. They all seemed well thought out. Um, very clear to me. Very clear to the listeners, I'm sure. Um, he got some nugs that we weren't expecting there. Like I said uh, in the intro, some professional uh, professional development nugs um, that I felt like I can learn from, you know, outside of what he does. So very glad we got him on. And, and you know, hopefully we get to work with him in the future. Yeah, for sure. Super grateful to have had him on. I think for you guys, I think some of my big takeaways are, I think if you're an artist or if you're kind of developing a, a developing act at any stage of your career, I think 
paying attention to marketing your own shows and leveraging some of the tactics that he spoke about to market your priority shows, I really want to encourage that. Even if you have a couple hundred, fifty, hundred dollars that you can put towards ads for your own show, I think that can go a really long way if you're running those ads well. Um, targeting the right people. You can get so targeted around targeting people that are fans of other similar artists that live in certain markets. You can target people that have engaged with your content. Um, I think it drives, it can drive sales. It can drive turnout to your show. And even I, I like the way he spoke about it. When it, Even if it's a festival, even if you're playing at a festival, you should kind of be going above and beyond to make sure that your fans know that you're going to be playing at that festival because that's then there's going to be more people coming to your stage and your showtime at your festival, which is just going to create that much better of a vibe. And if you create a really good vibe at your show, then kind of passersby will stop by and then that just really snowballs into right. building a very sustainable career. Um, also really liked what he was talking about. Really, I mean, just standing out in whatever you do, whether it's creating an, a, a brand as a party promotion company or as an artist and uh, your performance quality. I think finding unique ways to distill your own vision and create something new, so valuable. And then even outside of just when it comes to creating unique live experiences, I mean, even just his approach when it comes to marketing tactics he said he's like i'm not paying attention to what these other festivals are doing we're just constantly trying these things and trying to see what haven't we done yet and i think i mean even he was very spot on speaking about like the rise of text messaging i think that's about to be a very big platform I already starting to see a lot of different artists deploying text-based marketing and engaging with their fans in an yeah. authentic way so I really just enjoy that high level perspective. So one thing that I liked also was when he talked about promoter 2.0, where it's we're not just trying to get people out to the show. We're trying to to get them on board with our values and actively represent our values when they leave. Like he was saying with, you know, using Beyond Meat Burgers and, you know, making sure that <laughs> making sure that um, they lived by the things that made them unique as people and live by those values and then and then hopefully you know those reflected in in their fans when they leave you know yeah for sure i think it makes a lot of sense super excited to see that evolve and i think beyond that too i mean i think just as the world continues to shift towards digital cherishing the influence and power that a live event in real life event can have is so powerful so i think even just promoter 2.0 is kind of taking advantage of the fact the, the fact that they're creating a community bringing yeah. all these people together around like-minded values is very powerful so mj thank you so much for coming on man really enjoyed this uh super grateful to have had you on the show and uh for all the listeners out there let us know what you liked let us know what you want to hear more about and if you haven't already definitely really appreciate the reviews um on itunes and wherever you listen to the podcast so until next week we out <laughs>